Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 78. We are getting close to 100 shows. I mean, I know we've still got 22 to go, which is almost half a year away, but it feels like we're getting close. Anyway, so many amazing conversations have been had and I'm loving the feedback on the last few. Uh, Kate Burton, who came to speak about candles and the lowdown on beeswax. Uh, so many people have absolutely adored that show. And, um, and of course, uh, Brody, Brody Welsh, who came back on the show. I know a lot of you guys have done her courses and things over the years now to discuss uh, some of the work she's been doing around clarifying habits that we want to break free from and how to adopt better ones, how to set goals that we actually uh, end up achieving uh, some really fascinating discussions had there and a few ahas for you guys. So I always love it when you share what you're enjoying in the shows and what um, what revelations you had. And I just want to especially thank the people who actually share uh, a tile from the show or a picture of the show on their Instagram and um, and let their friends know to listen to that one because that just means more people discover the shows and then we stay, we become not the tiny niche majority of minority of people who um, make decisions based on people and planetary health, but we grow that niche and we turn it into a mainstream movement, which is, which is the goal, people. So um, I think what I love about a low-tox life um, and why I decided to call it this and form it the way I did was because we don't just think about ourselves and our health, we think about the planet think about our mindset as we make changes. We think about what's in our homes, what's in our food. It's all linked um, and it's all about leading a more conscious life in general uh, and being aware when we bring things into our life um, and the impact that they have on the wider um, world that we live in. You know, I think if we think about that amazing Native American saying to act with the seventh generation in mind, if we actually did make every decision that we made based on how it would affect the seventh generation, we would be living in an extremely different world right now. Um, you just think about it for a second and it blows your mind. It certainly blows mine and it certainly keeps me constantly wanting to improve in a gentle way. I'm not hard on myself, I, but I am aware and I always am um, quick to recognise. They always say fail fast. And if you're doing something that's not serving you, not serving the planet, find a way to um, to work on it. And I that's why I'm introducing these little experiments. So, um, so as you might have heard last week, I've decided to make lists of uh, anything that I'm considering buying or not, and I'm going to be really transparent about them. So you're going to see that first lot of things in today's show notes uh, about whether something was useful, whether it was beautiful or whether it was necessary. And because I'm on a major budget kick, having had to overhaul so much of our furniture in moving across um, to a new apartment and leaving water damage, it is imperative that we save our pennies big time right now. And we just feel so good in a really spacious, uncluttered space. We let go of so much stuff and we want to hold on to this beautiful feeling of space and light. So um, uh, head on to the show notes if you want to see the full list. But something I found interesting when I was doing the food shopping this week was that there were quite a few unnecessary items in there. And by unnecessary, I mean, is this going to be a part of a meal? Is it going to sustain me? Now, unnecessary is dark chocolate, and that isn't an unnecessary that I make an informed choice on and I'm prepared to own, and I will not stop buying or nor eating dark chocolate. However, little things like coconut water, you know, I thought, oh, I'll just get a couple of coconut waters for Seb when he fancies something. Oh, I'll just get a couple of, um, what were, what, uh, I made a list. Hold on. Let me just, let me just have a look at this. Oh, I bought a, a I bought a new brand of, um, cookie that was at, um, my organic, local organic grocer. And I just thought, oh, they're new. You know, I just thought, wow. Oh my goodness. That's not necessary. I'm a really good baker. I can make something with, whole ingredients that came from um, the Whole Food Collective where we get a lot of our pantry staples um, 
which I can pop in the show notes actually. They're amazing. It's a membership system where you get, you pay $59 for your year's membership and then you get literally 20 to 30% off the recommended retail price of your organics, your organic pantry staples for the whole year for $59. I made my money back in the first order um, and some, let alone all the subsequent orders I'm going to save on. So I'll pop that in the show notes for you guys. But back to what I was talking about, these cookies, it just was such a confirmation of how easy it is to spend money on unnecessary things. Um, and in our shopping basket, like what I, what I did the second time I went to the grocer that week, cause I tend to go two or three times and buy small amounts rather than huge, big trolleys. I found that was a, a recipe for wastage, um, back in the old days. And, um, and, and so what I did the second time was I looked in that basket and I removed seven items that were unnecessary. They weren't going to be forming part of the meal. They were little random nice to haves, I guess. But I can make nice to haves. You know, that's that's what I do. And why don't I use that as an opportunity to create for you guys and, and write new recipes? So it becomes something useful in my work as well. So it's not just ticking the necessary box, unnecessary. It's also about whether something's useful in the scheme of things and productive. Um, and seven items came out of there and I saved $41 in that shop just from things that I had just mindlessly popped in the truck. Oh, that looks nice. Oh, yeah, that could be good. I hadn't even run out of um, ghee and I was buying and putting another jar and I've got like half a jar in the fridge. That's not money I need to be spending right now. Um, so I would be super keen to see... Uh, if anyone's following along with this experiment, is it useful? Is it beautiful? Is it necessary? What thoughts you're having around that, what you're discovering, what you've stopped yourself from um, buying and why, I think it'd just be a really interesting thing to hear. Maybe if you can pop into the show notes and place a comment in the box or share something on Instagram with me under the tile where I'll promote this week's show. Um, and, and to that end, this week's show is with the amazing Dr. Terry Walls. This is such a privilege to have um, someone like Terry who has been through as much as she has and now using the journey that she's taken to quieten her MS and, um, and, and help so many thousands of people around the world with her books, courses, seminars, um, and we've got the incredible seminar coming up in Sydney and Melbourne if you're lucky enough to be able to get to either of those. I've got all the details in the show notes today. It's uh, I'm going to be there, so I would love for anyone, I'll wear my blue speaker dress as I say, as I um, talk about with Terry in this chat that I'm introducing, so you'll be really able to find me because everyone knows the, the cobalt blue and, and black polka dot speaker dress that I have, so come find me, come say hi. I always love meeting low toxes and, um, and chatting about what's going on with you and, and what you enjoy about our e-courses or the recipes or articles, whatever it is. It just always is so helpful for us to continue to create for you guys if we know what you like. And I love to meet you. And low toxes, we're all the same kind of people. We all have the same values and, and we always strike up great conversations. So please come say hi at uh, Terry Walls' event and I have all of the details in the show notes for you. So today is another week that we have the wonderful 15% off the Vital Proteins products, the Gut Pro, um, uh, sorry, the um, Organic 3 supplement range, and you heard me rave about their Gut Pro probiotics last week. They have some other fantastic supplements like the um, Oyster Zinc, which is pure oyster meat um, in uh, supplement powdered form. So it's an incredibly absorbable, available form of zinc. Um, and, uh, and a whole bunch of other really fantastic um, supplements in there. So talk to your practitioner about what you might be able to try and swap. Their, their whole ethos is about bioavailability um, as well as um, supplements that are appropriate for people on paleo gaps, healing diets of, of all kinds, um, in incredibly high-quality supplements. Uh, and then you also have the Rosita's cod liver oil and the Vital Proteins range, whether you want gelatin to make things like panna cottas or jellies or you just want to use um, the, um, the products in the range that don't set per se but are great to pop in smoothies and things. And you have 15% off all of those. All the details are in the show notes. Gut Health is your code and Emporio Organico is where you're going to be shopping for them. So give them a try. Um, and that unfortunately is for Australian residents only. 
So today's chat with Terry, we talk about her personal journey into discovering and having her MS diagnosed um, and, and what she did as a physician to initially respond to that diagnosis Uh, what she then did when she found that that really wasn't working and she kept regressing, um, she kept uh, getting worse and worse and um, in terms of uh, how she physically was, ended up being wheelchair-bound. And what she's done has been nothing short of a miracle and the good news is is that it's diet and lifestyle, folks, but um, quite specific Uh, ideas around that based on the fact that she is someone passionate about scientific research. She has always tried to document and get funding for studies as she's gone to work on things and realise things worked for her. Um, She's then been able to quantify that scientifically and that's why the work she's doing is getting so much traction around the world in the medical field because she's working very carefully and hard to prove that diet and lifestyle may play a major role in um, not only people's health in general, but when you have these um, diagnoses to be able to mitigate uh, and reverse so many of the symptoms and have a great quality of life, which costs governments so much less, right? So it's insane that we're not putting more focus on diet and lifestyle um, and making this more achievable for people. But the good news is, is I really believe the tides are turning. And in chatting to Terry today, I know you will feel the same way by the end of our chat. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed speaking with her. Uh, uh, it's a great chat and we have an extension that we focus just on inflammation um, in a course that we're also launching uh, in um, uh, just over a month. It'll probably be available um, where um, I, I have another chat with Terry uh, specifically on the topic of inflammation. So she's just an amazing woman, um, uh, has so much to, to give to the world and, uh, and uh, it's such a pleasure to be able to share the message with you. So enjoy the show. Hello, Terry. How are you? Hey, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Uh, I've been following your work for years and and you're one of the shining lights in, in all the um, amazing information that we find online these days for people who are just feeling like they're, they're, they're not getting any better. And, uh, and I know so many people in the low-tox community have connected with your work. So it's an absolute pleasure to bring you on the show. Um. Let's start uh, for people who might not have heard of your story before, because it is a rather epic one. Uh, let's start by you just sharing a little bit about how um, how MS touched your life, the experience that you had as a practitioner encountering that, and then how you kind of did a 180 on everything you think you knew to arrive at where you are today. Mm-hmm. So I'm an academic internal medicine doc. That means I uh, work at uh, the University of Iowa here in the United States. And I was a very traditional uh, internal medicine physician. I believe in the newest drugs, the best technology. And in 2000, I was diagnosed with relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. And that was on the basis of a history of dim vision 13 years earlier, a new problem with weakness in my left leg abnormal lesions in my spinal cord, abnormal spinal fluid, and a diagnosis of relapsing remitting MS was made. Um, and I wanted to treat my disease aggressively, so I uh, did some research, found uh, the center that was doing the, the most clinical research here in the Midwest, which is the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, so I saw their best people, took the newest drugs. In the next three years, I had just one relapse week in my right arm. And so if I'd been in a drug, that would have been a huge success. But the problem was I'd been getting steadily worse. Uh, I was having more fatigue and uh, now needed a tilt reclining wheelchair. Uh, I started on uh, mitoxantrone, a form of chemotherapy. Uh, and then uh, the next year I started on Tizabri, one of the new biologic drugs. And I continued to decline. Uh, then I switched to Celsept. Now, I'll back up uh, uh, a moment here. In 2002, my Cleveland Clinic doctors had told me about the work of Lauren Cordain and the paleo diet. So after 
a lot of thought and prayer. I went back to eating meat. I'd been a vegetarian for 20 years, um, but I'd continued to decline. Uh, I st- did the chemotherapy, did the tizabri. I continued to decline. I was clear that the best conventional medicine from the best people in the country were not likely to stop my decline in bedridden, quite possibly demented life. Also, I had a lot more problems with uh, poorly controlled neuropathic pain. Uh, and so I started reading uh, the basic science, at first looking for new drug studies, and then it occurred to me that I should look for uh, vitamin and supplement studies. There were none in the setting of MS, so I started reading wow, uh, about the none. animal models for uh, none. None. Uh, so I was reading about the animal models for uh, Parkinson's, MS, Lou Gehrig's, disease, and started and tailoring uh, supplements around my mitochondria. Uh, and that helped my fatigue somewhat better. My supplements definitely worse if I wasn't taking them. But I was still declining. Uh, by the summer of 2007, I could not sit up anymore. I was in a zero-gravity recliner. I could walk very short distances using two canes, or two walking sticks, really. Uh, I had severe fatigue, was exhausted at 10 in the morning. I was beginning to have problems with brain fog. Uh, my pain was more and more difficult to uh, manage. I, and it was that summer that I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. I took their course on neuroprotection had a longer list of vitamins and supplements uh, that I could add, uh, which I added. And then I had this really big aha moment, like I should redesign my paleo diet uh, focusing on these nutrients. Right. And so again, several more months worth of research. And uh, so at the very end of 2007, I had restructured my diet focusing on these nutrients. Uh, and three months later, I'm beginning to walk with a cane. Uh, months later, I'm walking without a cane. Uh, nine months later, I pedal around the block on my bike. I'm crying. My kids are crying. Oh my, my wife is crying uh, because I hadn't done that in six years. Mm. Uh, and then 12 months later, I'm able to do a 20-month uh, bike ride. Mm-hmm. Now, this fundamentally changes how I think about disease, how I think about health. It would change uh, the way I practice medicine, and it would change the focus of the research that I do. Huge, huge. So, Terry, can you explain, uh, for those of us who don't understand, you know, sometimes we have a cousin or we have a friend of a friend's mother um, who uh, gets an MS diagnosis. How does it really work as a disease? So... You know, we don't really know what the root cause of MS is. Mm. Uh, we presume that it's some sort of uh, activating infection that may have happened younger. Uh, we thought it used to be you know, around uh, the teenage years, but it's probably even younger than that. That sets up uh, this confusion in the immune system that begins uh, a process of creating an immune response to some of our brain structures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the biggest one being against the myelin or the fatty insulation on the wiring between brain cells. Uh, in these episodes where there's more inflammation, more attack, uh, and more symptoms are called relapses, uh, then things quiet down and the body figures how to get past that uh, inflamed spot. Uh, and symptoms quiet, that's called uh, a remission. Mm. Uh, and so uh, when you have these uh, acute spells of worsening and uh, improvement, that's called the relapsing remitting phase. But over time, the vast majority of, of people will convert into the uh, progressive phase of the illness called secondary progressive, where there's no more acute episodes of worsening, there's just a a steady decline. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also know that the brain shrinks over time, the spinal cord shrinks over time, and then whatever disabilities that are accruing are permanent uh, and there's no recovery. And that's the phase where I was in, Mm. where you would expect my brain to be shrinking, my spinal cord to be shrinking, and functions that were being lost, um, you would expect to be permanently gone. Right. And I heard you say the word quietening the disease. So you don't use the word cure 
for yourself? Uh, correct. Yeah. It, you know, I'm very, very clear to say, you know, I'm not cured. Uh, I will never be cured as long as I'm following my protocol. I've, you know, I feel great. Uh, I, I don't have pain. Uh, I don't have fatigue. I have mental clarity. But if I deviate from my protocol, I eat some foods that I should not be eating. Uh, my pain uh, is back in six to 24 hours, and I have uh, just utterly incapacitating pain. Wow. So it's that fast. Like, so we're talking like a piece of cake at a friend's birthday party kind of situation. It would, it, I would be unable to function. Amazing. Uh, uh, in 24 hours. That is truly amazing. And before, when you were well, saying... Well, it's actually very handy. <laughs> it is incredibly handy. What a motivator, right? Yeah. Very motivated to be very <laughs> attentive to uh, my diet and lifestyle choices. Yeah, absolutely. And that's when it really does become a lifelong adoption of a new way of eating and, and being, right? Correct. Mm. You know, and that's, that's certainly what we see in our clinical trials and I see in my clinics is the people who are, are experiencing symptom reduction that the the diet and lifestyle is so liberating. It's it's not really a diet. It, it's a new way of thinking about living. It's a new way of being, uh, and it's a liberation as opposed to quote a diet. Yeah. Oh, I always say liberation, not deprivation. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think it's all about the the mindset that we bring to something like this. And it's like, oh, I can't have my uh, or oh my gosh, I can feel great again. Like we can always approach things two different ways. So, in uh, when I speak with my uh, colleagues uh, that I uh, do my uh, research with, uh, who's a registered dietitian, and we collaborate, uh, she has made the observation time and time again in her research that. It, when patients experience symptom reduction based on the dietary intervention, then compliance is always extremely high because they keep feeling better and better and better. If you're asking people to change their diet without experiencing symptom reduction, the dietary change never sticks. Mm. We always go back to our familiar foods, you know, uh, foods uh, to which we are we, you presently enjoy because there's no perceived benefit. Yeah, but. It, experience symptom reduction, then the benefit is very clear. And, you know, people will do what makes a lot of sense. Mm, Absolutely. And so you mentioned, obviously, some of the studies you're carrying out. Is this the area you are now completely focused on? Yes. Uh, So all of my previous research, uh, I I don't do anymore. Uh, We simply do uh, dietary and lifestyle research. Amazing. And what's your take on, in general, how autoimmune diseases are studied today? Where do you see some of the holes? Um, and, and well, that, yeah. So um, most of the research that is done uh, is really headed, uh, structured either on the animal models to understand a particular molecular pathway or physiology mm-hmm. in the hopes of developing a drug mm. um, or they are a drug-based intervention. Uh, uh, the type of stuff that I do, which is uh, dietary intervention or lifestyle intervention, is a more comprehensive, complex uh, thing that you're studying because you're helping the phy- physiology work more effectively. Um, and I'd imagine there'd uh, be way more moving parts, right? There's way more moving parts. It's mm-hmm. a more uh, complex study design. Uh, it's a much more expensive intervention. And imagine... If I'm doing a drug study, I just have two pills, uh, and I can't tell which pill is which. The study participant can't tell because the, the, the pills look entirely the same. And so it, it's very it's easy to have a randomized, double-blind control trial. Mm-hmm. But now if I'm doing a food plan uh, intervention, I have to train you to quit eating foods that are familiar and that you like. And then train you to eat new foods that are not familiar, that you may not like at first, you have to develop a taste for. I have to motivate you to give up familiar foods, eat new funny foods, stay on this new funny diet, convince your family to stay on the diet with you. And then I have to accurately measure what it was that you ate beforehand and what it is that you're eating now. And ideally, I do it in a metabolic ward where I did all the food preparation and fed you and kept you in jail the whole time 
Well, that's enormously expensive. You know, we're not going to do that. Mm. But even in a free living situation, you can see why this is much more expensive than a pill study. Yeah, and because there's I, less money to be made from the results that are garnered, right? So how does one find the funding yes. for these sorts of studies? So in my case, uh, in order to write grants, you always need to have some preliminary data first. Right. And so uh, we need to have uh, someone who's willing to fund uh, the acquisition of that preliminary data. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was able to get a small private uh, foundation out of Canada that funded our very first uh, pilot study. Uh, and then we've had some additional philanthropy to support uh, the follow-up pilot study. And now the National Multiple Sclerosis Society is funding this next study. Wow, that's uh, a huge and, step. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a very big step. Yeah. And this, but this is the usual sequence of how things go. Mm -hmm. You get a small uh, you know, uh, donor who's willing to give you about $100,000 to collect the, the pre-pilot data. Then you can get about a $300,000 donation for the next somewhat larger pilot data. And then you can start writing grants for a million to $5 million studies. And that's where we're at now. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's uh, gradually larger studies that you do. Because uh, everybody wants to know that when I'm investing my money, there's a high probability that my investment's going to pay off. Mm. So no one's going to give me a $5 million to do a study unless they have a very, very high confidence that I've had enough preliminary evidence to show that this intervention is, has a very high probability of working. Mm. And can I ask, um, I, I don't know if it's too personal to ask, but you say return on investment. So what do they get back for their $5 million as an investor in a study like well, that? So Because they don't get to sell the, pills. And I, <laughs> that's right. So, so the uh, National Institutes of Health, uh, we're writing you know, grants uh, to study this uh, in a larger study uh, looking at uh, dietary interventions. Uh, and so you'd be looking at uh, making the case that diet and lifestyle uh, will have a favorable impact on this autoimmune illness. It's not going to be like a um, drug development study where you could expect to make billions of dollars with a favorable uh, drug study. Exactly. Uh, you have to be able to convince the government that the public good from this study yes, is so okay. great. Yeah, that so it's the return on investment of like reducing the amount of um, – um, uh, Medicaid needed and uh, disease management. Correct. Mm. Um, and uh, the private industry will fund drug development studies. Mm -hmm. Small philanthropists will fund, you know, uh, pilot studies uh, that I do. Yeah. Um, but to get, you know, these larger studies, uh, you know, hundreds to several hundred participants, that's going to be an NIH study. Uh, and unfortunately, it's happening here, and I imagine elsewhere, uh, the government funding for research of this type uh, is you know, more and more challenging to get. Right now, I would say less than 2% of grant proposals that are submitted get funded. Wow. So that, that's, that is how competitive it is. Yeah. And do you think it's getting more challenging because there are more people wanting to do studies or because there are some uh, – well, I don't want to say money, it. Let's money to go around. Yeah. Let's money, money to go around. around. Okay. That's, that's a nice politically correct way to get around that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, in terms of autoimmune disease in general, uh, are they – like – how does MS compare to, say, your lupus, your rheumatoid arthritis? Well, they've obviously all got a lot in common, but they've all got certain differences that mean they get named differently. So you might think of um, some of the basic science appears to suggest that the autoimmune diseases um, probably begin with leaky gut uh, and uh, proteins get into our immune cells. Uh, activating our immune cells that we did not anticipate activating them. Mm -hmm. And then depending on your genetics uh, from you get from mom and dad, when my immune cells got activated to react against uh, gluten uh, and dairy and eggs, which are my three big triggers, 
it my body sees that as looking like structures in my brain. Mm-hmm. My uh, son uh, has a more trouble with asthma, and so uh, his uh, inappropriate inflammation is targeted towards lung tissue. Uh, some people will have the inappropriate inflammation targeting their joints, and they'll end up with lupus. Um, other folks, you know, there's actually a, a striking similarity uh, in terms of inappropriate immune response to gluten uh, in dairy that can attack your brain, lead to MS, or attack your brain and lead to schizophrenia. Wow. So I'm like, you know, thank God I got MS. You know, yeah. I could have had a similar kind of disease process and ended up with, with a slightly different gene variation to have it expressed as schizophrenia. It's incredible, really, isn't it? And when you think about how many genes there are, it's such a lottery. Yeah, you know. How inflammation shows was, up in our bodies. When when I was collaborating with uh, one of my colleagues in, in psychiatry, and we did uh, joint grand rounds on schizophrenia and MS, the overlap and similarities, I was really uh, you know struck by those those grand rounds. And I was just thinking like, wow, you know, how fortunate I am to have MS. Mm. Wow, it's it's amazing, and yet you would have experienced some seriously. What was your darkest moment? Did you ever have a huge amount of uh, fear kind of overcome well, you and think, is is this it? Well, you know, uh, in two thousand seven, I had mentioned that uh, it was difficult to sit up. I had profound fatigue. Yeah. Um, but the the really big problem was that my face pain, which was like electrical jolts of pain across either the right side of my face or the left side of my face. They were coming on more frequently. Uh, it was more difficult to control. Um, I was going to the pain clinic uh, for injections more often. I was on higher and higher dose of gabapentin, which is a type of seizure meds. Uh, I was taking uh, intermittently very high dose steroids to try and turn this off. And so my fear was my pain would turn on and they would not be able to turn it off. Wow. And once my pain was on, every sensory input, uh, uh, sound, light, was transmuted into this electrical pain. So I couldn't talk to my family. I, I couldn't uh, stand to ha- uh, have any light. I couldn't hear any sound. Uh, light uh, breeze on my face triggered the pain. Uh, and so I was like, I, I couldn't, you know, my fear was, I, I'd come to terms with be, becoming uh, bedridden. I'd come to terms with becoming demented. I was like, you know, I might end up with refractory, untreatable pain. Oh. That was a very difficult thing to think about. Yeah. Oh, I can only imagine Um being someone who's come through SIRS and still very much on, on my journey, we've just moved house, which is very exciting um, as, a, as a positive step um, to get away from mold. I remember I'm just sharing this with you, and I don't think I've shared it even with my audience yet. It's just those dark moments. And I think people who work in health, who educate around health, we need to share that it's okay to have those fearful dark moments because they become our springboards for a better day and they, they, they uh, motivate us to keep looking into things, working on things, thinking outside the box. And for me, it was when I was planning a trip to Disneyland with my family and I was at my absolute worst, but this trip was just an exciting thing that we were going to get to look forward to. And I remember the travel agent saying, "Um, now does anyone in the party need a wheelchair? And I remember thinking in my head, that could probably be me, like, by March? Yeah, probably. And uh, and I was I can't believe I even had that thought. I mean, you have been in a wheelchair, so uh, I'm certainly yeah. not saying this to take away from your experience, but these, these dark thoughts happen and, and trying to look into a future where it doesn't look so great is a really scary thing to deal with. Um, but I do believe from that, if we, if we just keep that little glimmer of hope, then the amazing things that we can achieve afterwards are just, are just so exciting. Well, the, the other thing, uh, I spent a lot of time talking about is that you, you don't know what your nadir is going to be. Yeah. So, um, as I was getting steadily worse, 
I, I realized that I, there are very few pictures of me in the wheelchair. Mm. I think we have six. Okay. Now, I spent four years in the wheelchair. There's only six pictures that we've got. Is that intentional? Uh, that yeah, but, you didn't allow for photos well, in the wheelchair to be taken? I don't know. You know, life was difficult. It was getting progressively more difficult. And so we used to take a lot of photographs, but we were taking fewer and fewer. Uh, and now those six photographs are incredibly valuable uh, because people, you know, it's they don't believe that I was ever that ill. Mm. Um, and so it's the, the photos of me uh, when I was so desperately ill. Uh, are are now very very useful. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, I tell people that yes, yeah, take your photographs, write them down. They'll be your nader. We mm-hmm. don't quite know exactly when, but they will become treasures for you mm-hmm. as you begin your recovery. Well, I've got a very wise friend, Pauline, who says we have to thank our darkest times because they got us to where we are today. Uh, instead yes. of, uh, you know, poor me, victim, victim. If we thank them and acknowledge the journey we then got to come on because of that difficulty, then it changes everything in the way we can build resilience towards um, a healthier future. I really believe that. Uh, we, we talk a lot about the hero's journey Yeah. Uh, in, in the lifestyle clinic, uh, and uh, we acknowledge that uh, you have to sort of imagine – what is your hero's journey as you reclaim your health? Mm. Uh, what is it you're going to take your uh, use your health for? Uh, and that it, it, doing the easy stuff doesn't give us a lot of pride. It's doing the stuff that was incredibly difficult, where success was not guaranteed, where a failure certainly was a possibility. That is the stuff that those are the heroes you respect and admire. Mm. And that is the struggle that when you get to the other side, you will have immense joy. That's how you'll inspire your kids and your grandkids. Yeah. Uh, and I so, the, yeah, hmm. yeah. So, in my uh, uh, clinics with with the veterans that I would take care of, uh, this was actually our most popular class. Was uh, talking about our hero's journey, talking about the struggle, uh, realizing that it had to be. Uh, a struggle where you didn't know if you could succeed or not in order for it to be really a hero's journey. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And then when you think about the, you know, your TED talk, for example, and, and so many others, those ones that we connect with are the, wow, the, the huge amount of respect we feel when we know we're in the presence of someone with one of those journeys um, is, is what, what helps us look into our own lives and, and think about that. So I really appreciate mm-hmm. all the sharing you've done around yours so publicly because I know it gives so many people hope. Um, what do you wish was taught in every medical science or med school degree? What, if you could it, it write actually, the curriculum, the, what, what would you chuck in there? Uh, resilience factors. Mm-hmm. What is uh, the meaning of life? What is your mission statement? What do you want your health for? Because we're going to ask people to do things that are hard, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of dealing with their addictions, uh, that is helps them ha- have that strength. Uh, the other thing that I think is incredibly powerful is the importance of bonding, mm-hmm. of having uh, connections uh, with other humans uh, or with pets, and that bonding that provides a lot of meaning and purpose. Uh, because in order for people to be willing to do the work that we're asking them to deal with their addiction, to deal with eating vegetables, to deal with uh, doing exercise, uh, they'll be much more successful if they understand their purpose, if they have a human bonds uh, or connections. Yeah, beautiful. We're taught none of that. No. Or at least I was taught none of that. I was taught none of that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I have lots of friends who are doctors and I know they're not taught that. So, yeah, it's definitely missing that human element um, and the, the sense of connection to purpose. Like I love the work of Dan Butner. He's going to be on the show soon talking about the Blue Zones and um, yes. and that, that element of like what – I just love what you just said. It was such an aha. What do we want our health for? If you can connect to a purpose around that, like why do you want to be so well? What are you going to do with it? You know, it's such a gift. 
Uh, I think it'll be very interesting as a little group challenge for the listeners out there this week to just write out a couple of pages. Why do I want my health? And just see what comes out on those pages. It would be very interesting to, um, to share that. Um, so you created the walls protocol. Was that something that evolved over time? Because I, I heard you mention, um, that you had sure. started to eat meat again, but you didn't get better straight away then. Uh, was, Correct. was it the type of so, meat you were eating that you found? Mattered no, then, no, or? no. It, uh, it, it had nothing to do with the meat. It had to do with understanding this is about, uh, maximizing micronutrients. Right. Uh, yeah. So, I structured uh, the diet for my mitochondria to rebuild myelin, to improve detoxification. So I had a lot of uh, physiologic processes I was supporting, mm-hmm. and I designed the diet in a very specific way. Right. So at first it was a list of these are the foods I need to eat, and then as I taught my patients and taught the public, I thought, okay, I got to make food rules, so <laughs> people aren't just memorizing lists of foods. So then that meant I had to organize all this into easily teachable, understandable food rules. And then I had to, you know, because I'm a scientist, test my food rules, like, okay, do they really deliver what I think they're going to do? So, you know, this this was an evolving uh, prospect. But by uh, 2010, we had verified the food rules, had the nutrients down, and we were in our clinical trial. Um, but there were a couple of years where I was moving between here are the list of foods that I was personally stressing to here are the teachable concepts I can teach uh, to, to my patients in clinic uh, and to the public. Mm-hmm. And then, then, we had, then I was able to verify that uh, doing that delivered the nutrients that I knew were uh, key for the brain. So now I track uh, 36 different uh, uh, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, fats that are a key for mitochondria brain uh, function. Mm-hmm. And a couple of questions there just to clarify for people who don't understand um, a couple of things that you just said. Myelin, talk to us about what that is. So myelin is the insulation on the wiring between brain cells. Mm-hmm. And that's what gets destroyed in brain in uh, multiple sclerosis. Yeah. That's also one of the things that gets uh, lost as we age and mature. Uh, mature so mm-hmm. to speak so it's all about rebuild so we can actually rebuild absolutely yeah absolutely okay. and um uh, there's is evidence clinically that we're rebuilding myelin uh we have some unpublished data from our mri studies uh uh that we are uh, repairing the brain uh and i look forward to being able to get that uh out uh in print that's exciting um, yeah. Now you talk about your nine cups, but uh, you know nine cups of uh, there's I think there's leafy greens in there. There's uh, berries. There's um, the brassica family. Can you talk to us about? Because yes. uh, people are always so obsessed. But which one and how much of which? And and you divide it into three yes. groups quite neatly. So let's let's talk through those. So uh, and a lot of folks are like cups metrics you know how many yeah. grams <laughs> people so freak we'll, out we'll do with that they? part yeah. first <laughs> so have a dinner plate yeah your dinner plate if you cover it completely so you can't see the bottom yeah uh, that's equivalent of three cups okay great so it's three plates of uh, vegetables and berries mm-hmm. one plate should be dark leafy greens and it should be leafy greens from your part of the world that are not poisonous yeah so that's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Now, the next plate are things out of the cabbage family, onion family, mushroom family. Mm-hmm. Garlic is so sulfur-rich that two cloves of garlic equal uh, a cup. Wow. So six cloves of garlic mm-hmm. or a plate full of uh, cabbage family, onion family, mushroom family vegetables. And by the way, I'm measuring raw and cooking, so then it'll shrink by about half. Mm-hmm. And can we and then, have a mix of raw and cooked? That's generally yes, yes. best, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mixed and cooked. Uh, and ideally, uh, some fermented as well. Mm-hmm. And, the, and then the third category is colored. Yeah. And I'm very simplistic in how we think about it. It should be colored all the way through. Yeah. I love that. So a beautiful mm-hmm. red, a beautiful red apple, red on the outside, white on the inside, is not colored. 
a orange, peel it. You know, that's colored all the way through, so that counts. Mm. Um, berries count, uh, grapes count, uh, uh, beets, carrots count, uh, yams, uh, squashes would count as colored. Uh, and in general, I'd like to have at least uh, three, you know, three times as many vegetables as fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also, you know, um, you're eating vegetables and uh, meat, basically, or yeah. fish, poultry. Uh, and so you eat according to appetite. We had some people in our study who were really very petite, only four foot ten. Mm-hmm. They're not eating nine cups of vegetables. Right, okay, yeah. You know, and then we have some very substantial men in, in my clinics. And my advice to them is you eat mostly vegetables, some meat, and you keep eating till you're not full, till you're not hungry anymore. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you, that's the common sense eat. part that comes in, right? Yes, that should be very straightforward. You, you eat the allowable foods until you're not hungry. Mm-hmm. And if you're full, you stop eating. Cool. And do you believe that there is a window of time in which we should eat to give the body a real rest, um, 12 hours, so, more than 12 hours? What are your, what's your thinking? I mean, a lot of people are talking about intermittent fasting these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I talk about uh, fasting, uh, restricted feeding, uh, calorie restriction, and ketogenic diets uh, in my book. Mm. And uh, so there are a lot of benefits for all of the, those uh, variations. Uh, the reality is our ancestors got to eat when they could find food and had to not eat when there wasn't any food around. Mm. So there was plenty of time that we would go without food for a day or several um, or potentially even longer because of war, famine, drought, Um and we, fortunately, our mitochondria, our cellular physiology is very flexible. We can do without eating for a day or several days. And as long as there's plenty of water, uh, we will survive. Um, this constant feeding is very abnormal. It is, right? That, and so it's almost like we need these intermittent fasting state. rules because there is food everywhere, all around, always accessible now. So it's almost like the having some sort of a framework or restriction actually helps us get back to how we did it once upon a time. Correct. Correct. Mm. There, there's a lot of physiologic benefits for all of that. Uh, reduced calorie intake, uh, restricted time feeding, uh, uh, intermittent fasting, uh, and prolonged fasting. Yeah. A lot of health benefits for that. And in my books, I, I talk about those health benefits and give you some guidance if you want to experiment and try some of these different modalities out. Yeah, and it's really beautifully done. You always such a balanced, um, encouraging teacher, no extremes, nothing's black and white. It's all about listening to your N equals one. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I encourage everybody to go out there and um, and get the books. Um Something that I find really interesting, given you have obviously helped thousands upon thousands, if not in the tens of thousands now, um, quieten their MS and other autoimmune conditions, uh, how do we get more general practitioners, uh, more conventional doctors to acknowledge that diet and lifestyle factors do make a difference? Because we still hear... Oh, uh, this is very simple. Mm. Become well yourself. Yeah. Adopt the diet. Uh, begin your uh, stress-reducing practice. Begin moving. And as you, you improve the quality of your food and your symptoms reduce, your prescribing physician will likely need to reduce your pain meds, reduce your blood pressure meds, reduce your diabetic meds, probably reduce your cholesterol meds. If you're on mental health meds, probably reduce those. Uh, and certainly reduce your pain meds uh, because they'll be over-treating you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you have to work with your physician to say, I'm going to add all these vegetables. Do we have to monitor, do any special lo- uh, blood work or any adjustment to my medications? 
because I'm going to add all these vegetables. And if your primary care team is not excited about you eating more vegetables, fire them and get a new one. <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? We, we think that, you know, the person we've seen for the last 10 years needs to be the person we continue to see. But if it's not working, if you don't feel like, you know, I love um, Dr. Stephen Sinatra. I've had him on the show a couple of times. I love his view on finding a real partner in your health. Someone who really feels like they're rooting for you in the corner, in your corner, and, and really listening as well as um, learning and educating. Correct. Yeah, so, so important. Yeah. You need someone to help you uh, discover food and how to improve the quality of your diet mm. and discover uh, how to move more and how to enjoy that and how to better manage your stress. And then uh, uh, help dial back your medications because as your your health improves and your blood pressure normalizes, your blood sugar is normalized, if you're on any of those meds, they'll have to be adjusted downward. Mm. So you, you'll have to work with your physician but you don't need your physician's blessing to eat vegetables. <laughs> you don't need your physician's blessings to eat berries. Or go for a walk. You don't need your physician's <laughs> blessings, yes, to go out to go out and enjoy the outback or the park mm. or to uh, uh, meditate mm. or to take an Epsom salt bath. You do need them to say, I'm going to add all these vegetables. Do we have to ha- have any special labs? Uh, uh, and help me monitor my blood pressure blood sugar and make adjustments as needed mm. so you need to work with them and, and you don't need your specialist to tell you it's you, to help you eat more vegetables mm. you can have the conversation with your specialist to say you know i haven't had a relapse in five years i think i could probably start going off or reducing my disease modifying drugs because i have done great for the last and insert however many years that is. Mm. And there is a scientific criteria for when you could begin to stop your disease-modifying drugs. Right. And they would assess that through a blood test. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and depending on your disease state, they can do it through a blood test. They can do it through a clinical exam. They uh, do it through uh, a uh, x-ray study. So there are criteria to say, yep, your disease is stable enough. We could, in fact, begin taking you off these drugs. Mm-hmm. Or that your blood pressure is low enough, i got to start backing you off yeah. on your blood pressure pills. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to ask, it seems like a good time to ask a few questions from the community. I put it out to everybody that we were going to be having a chat today. And, uh, and a few people were like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I love her work. So you are, you are very well respected in our community and people absolutely love the work you're doing. Uh, uh, Lyndall here is asking, has she, has Terry seen any success in MSA? So multiple system atrophy patients, um, through use of the walls protocol. You know, um, so I've had people, I, I had, um, many folks and you can insert the name of multiple systems atrophy, uh, Parkinson's supranuclear, uh, palsy, Mm. um, ALS, um, RA, uh, myasthenia gravis, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's. Um, and so my, my response is always, it's absolutely, we always have to remember whatever your disease state is, it's a complicated interplay between the genes that increased your risk for that disease and your lifetime of environmental factors. Mm-hmm. It will always be worth improving the quality of your diet and optimizing all of your environmental factors as well as you can to get as good a function as you possibly can given what your underlying disease is. Even if it's something uh, like Huntington's, yeah. that you know, I, I know my disease is not going to be able to stop. But I certainly have heard from many folks, with, uh, families who have Huntington's, that people do better when they're following my protocol than when they're not following my protocol. Wow. Okay. That's really, really, really so. So, it, it, so, so the way to think about this is I want to have the best function of my cells that I possibly can. Yeah. I want to have the best function of my brain cells as I possibly can. So I'm going to get the best quality diet and the best lifestyle factors that I can. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what happens. Yeah. Because remember, people told me I would get no, uh, and I believe them, I would get no improvement in function. Hmm. And I'm biking 20 miles comfortably. Yeah. So, 
even if I would tell you that I would not expect function to improve. It's still worth trying. Oh, it's always worth trying. Always. It's always worth trying. Yeah. Um, now Priscilla asks, uh, and actually this is what we were just talking about. So it allow us to go a bit deeper. She'd like your advice on what criteria should be considered. So I'm assuming that means what kinds of blood tests, is it just blood pressure, blood sugar, for example, um, for someone following the walls protocol and doing well before thinking about coming off MS disease modifying drugs. So, uh, this is a conversation you're always going to have with your prescribing uh, physician mm-hmm. uh, in whether whatever your condition is. Uh, you'd want to identify what are the symptoms that indicate uh, your disease act- is active yeah. uh, or not, uh, and whether it's uh, MS or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or RA. So you want to know what your symptoms of disease activity are. Are there blood biomarkers for disease activity? Are there uh, x-ray markers of disease activity? Uh, And then uh, you could ask, uh, for your disease, what are the uh, current research standards for how how long uh, does the research say uh, stability is required? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's certainly a moving target. Yeah. In my own personal experience, uh, I, I've been doing uh, very well for six months, uh, and I had the conversation with my uh, treating neurologist, and I said, look, I, I want to uh, wean away, and he was agreeable, and we weaned off my uh, disease-modifying drugs, uh, and I've been off them uh, for 10 years. Mm. You want to have this collaborative conversation with your uh, treating physicians, I, 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 um, to decide what works for you. Yeah. You have to identify what are the symptoms you're going to monitor, what blood tests you want to monitor, what radiology tests uh, you're going to monitor. And you know, uh, uh, and this, this is a, a nuanced conversation. As a matter of fact, it's one of the topics that will uh, – lectures. Uh, we have a whole uh, lecture on it at my Walls Protocol seminar that we'll have this summer. Which we're so excited not, about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and mm. uh, you know, that's a, a lecture that I'm sure I'll give, uh, that we'll give every year uh, because it, it's a very important topic mm. and the research will always, will always be uh, changing. Everybody always wants to hear uh, what the current research is and I imagine we'll have some new papers that we'll be reporting on between now and then anyway. Yeah, absolutely. But, Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to say something else. No, no, no. I'm just collecting my <laughs> and thoughts. And we're here. done. <laughs> um, okay. So Jody's got an interesting one here. She'd love to know what your thoughts are around the link of autoimmune and allergy. Uh, she believes the incidence of them have both grown around the same rate in terms of people yes. experiencing them. What What do so you know? They um, they are both autoimmune conditions, mm-hmm. uh, and so seasonal allergy reactive airways disease, uh, uh, skin problems like uh, atopic uh, eczema, mm-hmm. uh, they're absolutely uh, all uh, connected. Yeah. And they are probably um, uh, genetic predispositions. Mm-hmm. Uh, these unknown environmental factors uh, uh, probably heavily influenced by the mi- microbiome, uh, by the quality of your diet, the uh, toxin exposures. And they interact in ways we don't fully understand. Yeah. And that's the uh, the uh, conventional docs. And then they'll say, so we don't know what to do, so we'll give you drugs. Yeah. And my approach is, yep, we don't know what to do, so we're going to optimize your diet and lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, it just, I mean, it makes so much sense. And I mean, but there's obviously sometimes a place for drugs in an acute response to a situation where you might need them initially, right? Oh, drugs can be very helpful. Mm. And uh, for example, uh, I've told you before that I have refractory uh, uh, neuropathic pain from my MS. Mm. So I uh, still have uh, MS pain. Uh, I'm on a very small dose of gabapentin. Mm-hmm. Over the last 10 years, intermittently, I, I've tried multiple times to go completely off 
I cannot get completely off. My pain comes back. Mm. Uh, I'm on a tiny fraction of a dose compared to the very, very high doses on in having to go to a pain clinic uh, every few weeks. But I'm coming to terms with the fact that, you know, I'll probably never get completely off my gabapentin. Mm. And I'm, you know, very, very grateful for it because without it, I would have uh, probably still uh, very severe, uh, difficult to manage pain. Yeah. Uh, so uh, medication can be absolutely life-saving. Yeah. Um, but I'm also very grateful that I've gone 10 years without needing disease-modifying uh, drug therapy. Yeah, and, and it's about like focusing on, on the great stuff rather than, oh, I can't believe I still have to take, you know what I mean? Again, it's that mindset, gratitude. Um, now, one more question from the community. I've got Bonnie asking for her sister. While we know organic is best, we live in a remote town and organic is super hard to come by. Soil hard to grow in, um, in terms of produce, like in a backyard situation. How can they get the best from conventional produce and minimize pesticide burden? Oh, sure. So um, in my uh, clinics at the VA, uh, the people that I took care of uh, lived on food stamps. Uh, they were disabled. Money was extremely tight. My patients were buying conventionally grown food. Mm-hmm. And they were uh, just doing the best that they can. Uh, and so we talked about uh, the fact that it would take longer to clear all of the toxins out of their body. Yes, the recovery is going to uh, be a slower process for them. Yeah. Uh, but they would still want them to uh, eat their vegetables. Uh, and so, and I talk about this in my book. My advice is, we do the best that we can given our economic reality. Mm. Uh, and th- that's all any of us can ever do, yeah. uh, is that we simply do the best that we can. Uh, in the U.S., uh, there's an organization called the Environmental Working Group. Uh, and I believe their website's EW, EWG.org. Yeah. .org. Mm. And there are these consumer guides that prioritize which produce has the most pesticide, the largest pesticide burden, and which has the lowest pesticide uh, use. And so one can prioritize uh, how to spend for organic and conventional. Frozen foods are fine. And, and again, uh, you know, I'd encourage you to read my book, uh, read through that, prioritize, do the best you can, and realize that, yes, it may take somewhat longer. Mm. You still need to eat your vegetables. You still need to eat those those um, big groups, the green sulfur color. And you simply do the best you can and, and uh, be very forgiving of yourself. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think it's, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, I can't eat organic, so I'm just going to eat my cheesy puffs. <laughs> it's like, no, no. <laughs> Eating conventional is way better than the cheesy puffs. Like, put those down. Uh, you know, we just think, well, well, if I can't do the best, then I'm not going to do it at all, and that's absolutely not um, going to help it's us. It's simply an excuse. Yes, exactly. It, it's, an yeah. ex- it, it's an excuse uh, to give them permission to not try. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, and I think it's just so important to comfort ourselves in knowing that we're doing the best that we can. You know, sometimes, you know, we've just moved house and lost all of our savings buying new mattresses and sofas and everything that we had to switch out because we left a water damaged building and, um, and I'm making some cuts right now and we are just, we are just doing the best we can and it's, it's okay. We're still eating beautiful colored vegetables on our plates, um, uh, meat I won't make a concession on for the factory farming factor and for the genetically modified grain feeding factor so that we just eat a little bit and we eat the best we we can find but um, in terms of some of those more yeah. expensive produce we're just mixing it up right now instead of full organic and and I've made peace with that because of the incredible life change we've made around in general Correct. and that's just what how it's going to have to be for a few months which is fine that's right. You listen. You listen uh, to your experience, your observations about where you're going to prioritize your efforts. Yeah. And what makes the most sense for you to focus on, given the circumstances facing you and your family. Mm, beautiful. Um, you know, I'll, I'll make another comment. Uh, uh, something that my patients with cancer taught me uh, that I think is uh, very important. Uh, my cancer patients, 
that, that I could see, take care of. They knew they were going to die from their illness. Mm. And yet they could come in and tell me that they were very grateful that they have cancer. They knew they were going to die, but it gives them the chance to reconcile with family and friends and to prioritize how they're going to choose to spend the rest of their days. Oh, wow. I, and I mean, I want to remind all of us that, yep, we don't know how everything's going to unfold for us. Mm. We may or may not recover from whatever our current health challenges are, but we can choose to learn from it, to do the best that we can, and to prioritize how we're going to choose to spend the rest of our days. That is such a beautiful way to finish our chat today. Wow, such wise and gorgeous words. Um, and uh, and I guess I, I definitely want to mention this before we stop our chat. You are out in Australia soon uh, at the end of next month. Yes. This is very exciting. I is am- this going to be your first time here? This is my first time to Australia. I'll be in Sydney and Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be doing uh, the events uh, with the uh, Transform Your Health Tour yeah. uh, and talking to the public about how to use the stuff that we've been talking about today uh, to really transform uh, your health, regardless of what health challenges you're facing. Yeah. So. I'm thrilled to get to come to your country and hopefully meet you yes, and definitely. thousands and thousands of other Australians. Yeah, it's going to be really special. I will definitely be at the Sydney one, guys. So head to the show notes. Everyone who's in Sydney or Melbourne or can travel to either of those and book your ticket because it's going to be a super special day. And uh, and I always like meeting some low-toxers in person. So you'll see me in my blue speaker dress. I'll wear that so everyone can find me really easily. I always wear one dress, Terry, until it dies in the butt to um, oh, make I a see. point about um, ethical fashion. Uh, so, um, so I will see all of you guys there. Terry, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I feel like we... We covered so many brilliant twists and turns, um, including hearing your incredible story. And I want to thank you for the work that you do. Thank you so much. Well, that's another show done. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Always so much inspiration from our beautiful guests. And I just want to take a minute to say thank you uh, for taking the time to leave a review for our show because it helps us stay visible and helps other people who maybe haven't discovered it yet go, ooh, that looks like it might be worth a look. So if the show has provided value to you, there's nothing you can do to thank me more than to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you... um, you access the show from. So what you do is you just search generally in the podcast app. Don't be in the list of shows because you won't be able to leave a review there. So once you've searched generally, you'll see the tile come up and you click on that tile and then a little set of tabs will come up and the middle one is called review. And from there, you can click it, star rate it and leave a review. And I appreciate that so much. Now, if you want to connect with the rest of the Lotox Life community, we're over on Instagram at Lotox Life or on the main website uh, where there are a whole bunch of recipes, some incredible e-learning opportunities depending on what your Lotox goals are. And that is www.lotoxlife.com. And of course, if you want to check out the podcast show notes, you just do forward slash podcast and everything's there so i look forward to continuing our chats in between shows online in the community 